0: Hi, welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership training, and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Giles Morrison. Giles is the Managing Director of Doctor Hyphen, which is a clinical user experience and digital health consultancy. I invited Giles onto the podcast as I wanted to know more about what a user experience specialist does in a healthcare setting and throughout this conversation we shortened that to UX. So Giles helped me understand UX is more than just information technology, it looks at how we use things, human factors, design and accessibility giles shared the difficulty that his colleagues experience when trying to engage with healthcare professionals Uh, as i think sometimes it's it's hard to understand what the benefits were the benefits are and how it crosses over with you know having a project manager specializing in a health related i.t project or quality improvement initiative so giles walks us through the benefits of having a UX designer on your team. What's really nice was we are in this interview we are able to provide a real practical and tangible example of user experience at its best. My daughter Tyler has type 1 diabetes and we use a couple of pieces of healthcare tech but it's not just the technology it's how we use it on a day-to-day basis and for those of you Familiar with type 1 diabetes, we use a device called Dexcom and um, it's a little device she wears on her tummy and it monitors her blood glucose. And what this interview helped me to realise was how much we love that piece of kit and, and how easy it is to use and the attention to detail behind the scenes makes, it's had a real positive impact in all of our lives and that Tali is seven and she uses this piece of kit, you know, she can use it with her eyes closed. And that the school use it. I can monitor her levels when I'm in the office. My husband can. My two children, my other two children can help read the information. And it's helping us to influence what happens next. If she has a high, what what do we do? If she has a low, what can we do? It helps us plan our day. We're going to the zoo. She's going to be on her feet lots. How can we support her? So, you know, to help stabilize her levels so it's more than just the technology it's how we use it and how we feel about it and that is user design user user designer is best towards the end of this interview joey will share some really powerful questions regardless of whether you've got a ux specialist on your team or not for you to consider when building your next health related product so i hope i really hope you like it it's really really interesting Guys, I came across your LinkedIn profile and it really intrigued me because you are involved in the world of UX and i just thought it'd be really good to have you on i understand you've got a clinical background but you're growing this fantastic business and working with healthcare professionals from across the sector and internationally and i just thought it'd be really helpful for you to share with my listeners what is ux what do you, what does it mean what do you do and why do healthcare organizations need it
1: how does that sound that sounds wonderful thank you for the for the opportunity actually I get asked this question quite a lot, as I'm sure you could imagine, because yeah. there are not many doctors who go into UX. It's extremely rare. And even having people work in user experience in the healthcare sector, that even in itself is quite uncommon. So UX, as I just mentioned, is short for user experience, which is ultimately about the experiences people have with anything that's been designed. Most of the time we refer to this as the experiences we have with IT solutions so mobile apps software stuff like that but you know we we have experiences with the sun which are augmented by us putting on sunglasses you know with the rain we put up an umbrella and how we design those sunglasses how we design that umbrella is going to determine our experience with that sun and with that rain the same thing happens with technology. If we make technology that keeps in mind the different needs and wants and limitations that people have, they'll be able to perform their tasks much better. I think a lot of people are aware that healthcare technology is very frustrating for a lot of doctors so a lot of my work involves trying to see how can we remove that frustration and get clinicians using the technology to the best of their ability to perform their tasks well and then, and then being happy afterwards. So can I ask, can you, what, can you give me a really simple example
0: of how you use user experience to help support a health-related like IT product?
1: Okay, one of the examples I can give very early in my career was not so much affecting patient care directly, but more in an administrative sort of position. So I was working with the team in an outpatients department at Guy and St. Thomas's. And the secretaries and receptionists that were dealing with a lot of the paperwork in the outpatients department had to have a physical piece of paper that the doctors filled in, notoriously had terrible handwriting on, uh, spilling tea on it, and then they had to then actually input information from that sheet into an electronic record. So something very simple was let's get the technology to be more useful for these staff why can't the clinicians actually complete this data electronically? If the system that they input this into can't update the other database, fair enough. But at least remove the paper. At least allow the the receptionists and and other admin staff to be able to process this data without having to worry about terrible spelling mistakes and scruffy handwriting or sheets of paper going missing. But then at the other end of the spectrum, I've had to work with a client in South Africa where we wanted to completely digitize the process of pre-admissions processes. So a patient's supposed to come in for elective surgery, and there'll definitely be like a billing component because of the nature of it being private healthcare in South Africa. But then you need additional information about the patient, such as next of kin and all these sort of documentations that need to normally get completed by a nurse in the hospital. And now through the work that I was doing, understanding the different tasks that needed to be done and the different stakeholders involved, We mapped out the whole process and allowed the patients to be able to do it on their own in front of a computer, if not on their own smartphone device. So can I ask, what is the
0: difference between why would somebody hire you versus an IT project manager that has got experience in implementing projects in a clinical
1: background? What would be the difference? That's a really good question. So I think definitely the the biggest Differential between us is the fact that my background isn't just clinical, which is a huge benefit. The fact that I understand healthcare really, really well. I understand what it means to be a clinician on the front line. I've been there doing chest compressions on someone who we couldn't revive. I've been there to deliver babies into the world. So I've seen both life and death on the front line. So this gives me a quite in-depth understanding of the emotional component of the stress that staff go through, not just the day-to-day stresses of the job, but also the fact that I've been trained up in what we call human factors and ergonomics. So I understand about the risk that can be caused to someone by using software that actually is quite clunky. There's issues of eye strain, there's issue of repetitive strain from, from moving too many clicks. You know, to actually being frustrated that the software is not working, and what impact that can have on someone's ability to do their job or even to continue using the software in the first place. So this is actually a discipline that you can study at university. Most of the time, these degrees are referred to as human computer interaction. So I did my master's degree at UCL. So that's definitely a big part is that I know about the best practice of designing technology that actually is usable that is accessible, so there's no form of disability that should be holding someone back from using it and actually being an engaging and pleasant product to use regularly, which then encourages people to use the product on a regular basis. So those are, I think, core skills and, and knowledge base that, product managers don't always have. They will acquire it over time, but it's not part of their training. A lot of time it's more so focused on other aspects that a UX designer would also focus on, to be fair, but they focus more so on budgets and on sort of like project planning and ensuring that the different components of the machine, so to speak, the development team, the design resource, the researchers, I'm engaging with stakeholders, with funders, stuff like that, all of those people are kept into the loop. With that said, a UX designer needs to have that great stakeholder engagement anyway. It's something that I pride myself in doing in ensuring that everybody that needs to be aware of what's going on with the project, everybody who has to put their point across or have their input involved, that they are included in the discussion. So there are some stark differences but I say that good UX designers should be doing significant amount of work that a product manager would be doing anyway.
0: Is there a large community, large community of people of UX design? Uh, is it UX designers
1: out there? So I'll say there is a lot of UX designers. That's partly good, partly bad. Very briefly, because it's a bit out of scope of our discussion. But there are a growing number of visual designers who call themselves UX designers. have no formal training or extensive experience on looking at how do you make something ergonomically safe and how do you keep in mind human psychology in ensuring that someone's able to perform this task very simple way. They're, They're more so used to following guidelines on how do you make an app for iOS or an app for Google. With that said, there are a huge number of people working in UX. Those working in healthcare, though, is very small. And in fact, you'll only find quite a small number of design agencies who specialise only at working in healthcare companies. But then having a clinical background as well as a UX background, that's exceptionally rare. I only have probably about three or four peers that I know of in the world.
0: Why is it rare
1: that UX designers aren't as kind of prominent in the field of healthcare? So there's, there's a Quite a few reasons. The, the biggest reason is that healthcare generally, from a technological point of view, when it doesn't directly impact patients, so I'm not talking about surgical interventions or new technology that's providing treatment to patients. I mean the software that's used by the clinicians for them to do their job. I find that from sort of maturity that healthcare has in that regard, we're very, very behind. Very, very behind. And particularly when it looks at the the aspect of user experience, you'll notice that there's been UX professionals working in the financial services for years because there's a clear business benefit that generates money when you have UX designers. That's why the financial services industry has been really, really keen to have UX professionals there. But the return on that investment hasn't been shown enough in healthcare, so not enough people have been talking about it. Now that has changed over the last couple of years, partly why I've specialised in healthcare and been quite strict to stay in healthcare, is that more and more people are seeing the benefits of it, but it's not what they knew was a benefit beforehand, so they weren't looking for UX designers. I think as well, there's very unique challenges that are faced within healthcare, which, just like in the financial sector, you will have people who continue to work in, in, in um, fintech because of the fact that they've got a lot of experience. So they will stay in that industry, but getting the opportunity to gain that deep insight and understand the, the myriad of regulatory and you know, health and safety policies and, and, and guidelines that you have to understand. That can sometimes be a bit of a barrier. And one of the biggest complaints or, or concerns that some of my um, generalist UX colleagues and peers have, is trying to do user research with doctors. They say it's very difficult in particular to reach out to healthcare professionals in general, but specifically doctors. They find it hard to get insights from them to go down the design process. And so as much as there's an interest of a lot of UX designers to be in healthcare, there can be those obstacles that can put them off and they just feel, well, I can actually get paid (laughs) to work in another industry, which is unfortunate because healthcare is... I would argue, the biggest industry in the world. I don't know it from an economic point of view, but every single person on the planet deserves to have good health is a human right. And because of that, all all countries, all governments are supposed to provide good healthcare services. It's not like there isn't a lot of demand for UX professionals to be working in healthcare. There's loads of problems in healthcare. But it's getting that buy-in from senior management to recognize that we save a hell of a lot of money when we work on projects. Oh, UX is about making this app really really nice to use, making it sexy, making it like Apple and it's not as simple as that. You've got to think of well I'm trying to radically change the way that a patient access healthcare. I want them to manage their health on their own without seeing a doctor. It's not as simple as just making the app look nice. You're actually changing the way someone recognizes who is responsible for their health. Like, obviously, most people know that they ultimately have to look after their health on their own, but they would always expect to go to a doctor at least a specialist nurse first. If you need a prescription, you don't just go to the pharmacist. You would most of the time have to see a doctor first. And I know that there is a shift, which is appropriate, that the general public can manage their health on their own, but that is not as simple as just getting designers to just make apps prettier. That that will lead that change. So
0: I would like this podcast for those people that are not familiar with user experience for them the aim of this podcast is for them to come away with a real understanding and I think I may be able to help in the fact that I've got three children and one of my daughters has got type 1 diabetes and we are a consumer of a product called Dexcom. Now, Dexcom, um, it is a device that helps her manage her type 1 diabetes and we can continuously monitor her blood glucose, a device that she inserts into herself, usually on her tummy, and it is attached to a phone. And every three seconds, every three minutes, it sends us her latest blood glucose. Blood glucose levels, and ideally, she needs between four and seven. If she's below four, it alerts. If she is above thirteen point nine, she's having hyper, and then it alerts again. So, from a user experience point of view, that device has to be used by a child. Um, Mm. A parent has to be able to understand it. When we insert the device every ten days, if it goes to ten days, there is instructions on how to insert it every time using the phone. So that is quite seamless. Um, we want a subscription. So every time we're running low, we don't have to do it. It automatically, we get a delivery sent to my work address. Mm-hmm. Xcom can be viewed. The results can be reviewed on my phone. We can share the application. So my husband can see her levels when he's at work. I can see it on my phone and we can share it. I think with up to 10 devices. So mm-hmm. I think even though we both don't work for XCOM, I think that is a tangible example of how we are using healthcare technology, kind of like patient and carer involvement, and also clinicians, when we go to our appointments, they can see Talia's trends, they can see how many high she's having, how many hypers, and when she's in range, and that also connects with other devices. So I think, hopefully,
1: am I on the right lines? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like I was really excited, actually, when you were explaining how this is actually helping you and your daughter. It's not just that it's providing treatment, but you can see the benefits on a day-to-day basis that there's so little thinking that is involved. You know, you can trust. It sounds like you can trust the device and the whole service that you're paying for to actually ensure that your daughter's healthy is that right
0: yes and it also helps us educate it educates us daily on what's what you know certain foods may send her you know really low some foods might send her really high if she's high does she need more insulin or actually shall we take her out to walk the dog so it is helping us to manage her condition and she's only seven but it's also helping her to manage her condition it doesn't feel like is intensive or you know like it's it feels very positive and feels like just our way it's just our way of life when the sensor fails we really notice it we're really lucky to have it so I think yeah I think that is a good example and I'm sure they they, a, a company like that must have UX so I think my call to healthcare professionals is when we're developing products and services and you know obviously the patient is at the heart is to think about that patient journey to think about so talia's seven she's got sisters we've got a dog she's got to be mum and dad are really really busy we've got this technology what happens when it fails how can we make sure talia doesn't run out of this you know what age group can use it all of that sort of thing has gone into goes into building those products rather than just you know like the technology. It is how we use it on a day to day basis. Can we get it wet? What happens when it's really hot? All of that stuff.
1: Yes, that's a really good point that you raised there. The fact that it's it's not just that it actually works, but how do you actually use it? How do you engage with it? And how do you achieve the task of ensuring that you that Talia is actually healthy? Because it just working on a functional level is one thing. But actually, if it doesn't change to lead to changes in behavior and optimize entirely as health, then actually it's not that great a product, is it? so this sounds it sounds really good though what, what you've what you've highlighted is is testament to good UX. I would expect that they have got UX professionals working in-house to help them create a product like that. It's not as simple as, oh let's just have an app that just recognizes when someone is low or when someone's got high sugars, it's actually, what do you do next? What happens when you've run out of insulin? How does the insulin get to actually that that user that's using the product? And you said it's delivered to your door. They've looked at the service that wraps around the product and all the different aspects that are needed. Like you even mentioned about advice about how to optimize diet plans and what, what food to avoid or what food to actually have. This is also useful. That's, that's beyond just measuring the blood sugar reading. So that's great. It's really encouraging. Yeah. To me. And just last, I'd like to add on
0: that. when the, So that ideally the sensor should run for 10 days, but sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it is our job to communicate that with the company. We give them the serial number and the, yeah, it, every device comes with a little code. And then they will monitor, they will ask questions, you know, where did you place it? What was she doing? Does she always wear it on her back? Because they want to know why it fails. From a quality perspective, you know, is it a faulty batch? So I think it sounds like it's a continuous process. You create the user experience and you're you're always monitoring it. Is it working? Does it need to be improved? And I think they've they've just launched G6 with Apple or something. So I think... Hopefully healthcare professionals will feel like if they didn't understand it before, that type 1 diabetes example hopefully will make people think, oh, okay, next time we have a project. It's more, in some cases, we might need more than just project management. We need somebody with a real understanding of of clinical medical conditions and the process. Also need to involve
1: patients. Do you include patients in your design work? You have to, but it's broader than that. So I had a really wonderful email conversation with, who's referred to as the the godfather of UX, a gentleman called Don Norman. So he's one of the most famous UX designers of our time. And he first kind of coined this term user-centered design and and was given the user experience architect title when he worked at Apple, This was back in the 90s. Now, the big thing for him when I was chatting to him is, this concept of people-centered design. So we've moved away from user-centered. A lot of people like to refer to it as human-centered design, just in case anybody forgot that we're designing for for humans rather than a goldfish. But it's that concept that we're more than just a sick person. You know, you've got to see things from a holistic point of view. If someone is trying to, you know, like you said, your, your daughter's using this product to measure insulin levels, it's not just to monitor sugar levels and then what insulin needs to be given to her is actually to ensure that her diabetes is controlled and she's living a good life. There's a broader thing to keep in mind. So there's diet, there's exercise that needs to be kept in mind. There's an education piece. But then when you look at it from a people-centered component, you've got to recognize that Talia didn't give birth to herself. She doesn't only manage her health on her own. She has parents. You know, it sounds like she's got a pet dog. You know, she lives in a community. You know, she's surrounded by other people. There's a clinical team that's looking after her as well. There's a technical team that has to manage the hardware and software that's dealing with with her disease as well. So there's different types of people, different roles, different skill levels, different knowledge base that all need to be considered when you're designing these products. And you have to keep their needs, wants and limitations at the center of the design process at all times to make sure that you're going to satisfy all their needs and wants. The other thing just to elaborate on with that is this concept of design thinking. Very briefly, design thinking is ultimately a methodology to identify the right solution to the right problem. You know, if someone says, oh, I need an app that's going to improve diabetes, that is too broad. The specific problems you want to solve is, I need an app that's going to educate about what diet to have, educate about exercise, monitor glucose levels, actually, you know, determine an appropriate dose of insulin, so on and so forth. So you find specific problems that need solving. And then you find specific solutions, the best solutions for those. And there's loads of these design thinking methodologies. The most, or one of the most famous ones, and the one that I particularly focus on is one called the double diamond design process. So you go through an exploratory process to find out as much information as you can about the problem before you then narrow down to the specific problem that you need to solve, before going through another period of divergent thinking when you explore all the potential solutions to that problem, which you then test out and role-play or simulate them to make sure that they're satisfying your needs, and then you narrow down to the final solution that satisfies that problem. But that whole process is a loop. You can go backwards at any step to make sure that everything is moving towards the best possible solution. So when you keep that in mind, following a you know a, a truly people centered design thinking, design process, that's what leads to products like what your your daughter's using to manage your diabetes. So I'd like to ask about your background. So you were a doctor
0: and how did you find the transition from moving, you know, out of a
1: medical role into more of an entrepreneurial role? It's a really good question. I think part of it was quite shocking, particularly because of the fact that I had very, very little support in making that transition. Like, normally, once you've got into medical school, that's it. You're going to die with a stethoscope around your neck, maybe over a patient. So, (laughs) the idea of leaving medicine was quite shocking to most people. It felt right to me as much as it was scary because. You know, unless you're a really terrible doctor, it's very difficult to not have a job. Like, we're in a huge crisis with a shortage of doctors, unfortunately. There's loads of issues that's leading to that. One of them which led me to leave was the fact that the work-life balance just wasn't in my favour. And so I needed to have a role that could utilise my skills and interests in graphic design and in problem-solving. But that's where leaving medicine and going into digital health was actually quite easy, particularly going into UX, is that user experience and solving problems in IT is ridiculously similar to treating patients, because ultimately they're both problem-solving exercises. You have to take in an input of data, you have to analyze and process it, which then leads to an outcome and next steps. So that whole process of taking a history and jotting down my notes and doing an examination before making a diagnosis and offering treatment is the exact same process that i have to go for forward with when i'm working on an it project i still need to do take a history by interviewing people observe people when they're using the technology have an understanding from my own training on on what to do next and then suggest what my treatment would be which would be a particular app or software or website that i'm designing so with that in mind the transition after a while became easier. And I think part of what also made it easier was was talking to people, you know, by speaking to other clinicians that were interested in IT about what I do allowed, gave me the opportunity to to reflect on what I was doing on a day-to-day basis and identify the, the wonderful parallels between working as a clinician and working as a UX designer. So could I ask, for those organisations that maybe having a very limited budget. So we're talking
0: about NHS organisations, a limited budget. Is there any questions you could pose to those people embarking on an initiative that they may not have a UX designer on hand or be able to commission one? What, would you, what questions would you say
1: when developing your next initiative, think about X, Y or Z? So the first thing I would say is, has anybody really understood the different tasks that needs to be done which this technology this solution that you're making is supposed to support with so or even if you're procuring one so very very commonly and it is a bit shameful some of the issues that have revolved around this the nhs has a tendency or rather specific trusts have a tendency to procure electronic patient record systems which tick a variety of boxes But actually, when you look at the tasks that need to be done by the clinical team and non-clinical professionals as well, the technology can be an obstruction. Rather than facilitate those tasks being done or to work alongside them, they actually can prevent documentation of certain outputs of work, which is not acceptable. And if we don't understand what are the tasks to be done, and then we just give the technology which isn't supporting it, we're going to have pushback. People are not going to use the product or they're going to use it in a suboptimal way, which causes more problems down the line. And we're talking about millions of pounds being wasted when this happens. These, these IT solutions are not cheap. So that's the first big question I would ask. I think the other one is, who, who do you have as a champion who's going to be evangelizing and, and, and rallying the troops, so to speak, to get behind this technological solution, because if you don't have someone who people respect and who can trust to say that, yes, this technology should be used, then people are not going to use it. They'll just they'll just back off. Now, a lot of times this could be, say, the chief clinical information officer in a, in a hospital or GP practice, and they are very well suited to this. But you need to make sure that those people are trusted and respected by the more junior members of staff, because... If those junior members of staff aren't willing to use the technology, that's when you will have the problems because they're the people who are supposed to be using it. And finally, as well, is when you're going through a process of either procuring a solution or building one from scratch or evolving a product that already exists, keep that people centered design thinking methodology in mind from the beginning right the way to the end. And even saying end isn't really appropriate because you should be doing a constant evaluative process to always ensure things are getting better or at least satisfying people's needs and there aren't any problems that come in down the line. So do your roadshows, you know, have opportunities to speak to a variety of staff to make sure that their voices are being heard, that they feel respected, that you actually care about the fact that you're significantly changing the way that they do their job. Yes, they're being paid to do it, but at the same time, they love their job. They want to serve patients. They want to do a great job. You need to make sure that the work environment, including the technology that they're using, is going to help them. So include them on that journey. You won't have people resigning their posts. You won't have people abandoning the technology. You'll actually have a workforce that's enthused and excited about this massive change that's coming. Okay I love that. And can you give me what are you currently working on at the moment? So there's a couple of things actually. One of them is my book. I'm writing a book called Healthcare UX Dissected. So that's specifically breaking down what is UX in the space of healthcare. I plan it for it to be a go-to book about UX in the healthcare sector, particularly for clinicians and non-clinicians working in healthcare who want to develop that skill set. And it's a complement to another project that I'm working on, which through my company, Dr. Hyphen, creating an academy so Mm -hmm. that people can go through a UX design course, healthcare UX design course online on their own or through classrooms that I run online. So this will give them the skill set that they need to work on any healthcare technology or service design project, giving them the understanding of what UX is, what design thinking is, and a variety of tools and techniques to effectively work on these projects. So those are the main, main two things that I'm working on at the moment. So, so you're yeah, just a little bit busy? Oh yeah, just, just a little <laughs> bit, just a, just a tad bit, just a tad bit. And then obviously the occasional bits of work with, with clients, working on websites, working on mobile apps, working on software solutions for clients in the UK and abroad.
0: Giles, thank you so much. That's really interesting. And I hope our listeners come away with a new kind of found understanding on what user experience designers can do for them. Thank you so, so much. Where can people find you if they want to know more
1: information about you and want to contact you? So you can always head to Google and just search my name, Dr. Giles Morrison. I come up quite quickly on a Google search. That's Giles with a Y. But also you can Google Dr. Hyphen, so dot com. And you'll find out more about the, the business that I run there, which is a clinical UX and digital health consultancy. And also, you can just find me, drgilesmorison.com, to find out more about what I do as well. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on LinkedIn. I look Excellent. forward to hearing from you soon. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: there you go folks I hope that you enjoyed that interview and I hope that you now have a further understanding on the benefits of user experience I would love for you to share your key takeaways from this episode on social on our social media channels you can find me on twitter at thconsulting underscore and on linkedin at tara humphrey and I look forward to you tuning in to the next podcast episode